Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. My name is Jonathan Siegley. Today I'm joined by Cheryl McMillan and Brian Ives from ESPN Stats and Info. Guys, thanks for joining me today. We were able to celebrate a Carolina victory over Tennessee yesterday, so Hopefully everyone's Mondays were, you know, at least decent as for Monday. Yeah, pretty good. It's it's interesting because I think, you know, once they finish up with Wofford on Wednesday, then, you know, you're one game away from ACC play. So it's really about to start heating up. Yeah. And then, Brian, hopefully you got some sleep, man, after working late for the uh, ESPN crew on Sunday for the uh, NFL football. Yeah, Sundays at work are a long day. Coupled in with the Tar Heels game, it was it was a busy and distracting Sunday for me, but um, I got through it. I'm excited to talk about it. Absolutely. Well, let's just jump right in then. I wanted to talk about the defensive effort in this game to start off the conversation today. Brian, the Heels, at least for the eye test, looked like they really ramped up the defensive intensity during the second half of that game against Tennessee. Was that something that when you were looking at the numbers, did, did that actually bear out or were the heels kind of decent on defense for the entire game? I think they were pretty good defensively the whole game, at least in terms of forcing Tennessee into tough shots. They didn't, especially in the first half, they didn't always finish the defensive possession. They gave up a lot of rebounds, offensive rebounds to Tennessee. I think Tennessee scored something like, uh, what was it, 16 second chance points. Second most the Tar Heels have given up this year. They gave up 18 against Michigan, but that was a higher pace, different style game. But overall, I think they did a great job. I think Tennessee certainly missed some shots, especially late in the second half. But they seem to wear down Tennessee as the game on, whether it's Carolina's pace or whatever. It definitely wore ten- Tennessee down. I think three of 17 or three of their last 18, something along those lines. And that included that three late that really didn't have much of a bearing on the game. So Carolina's defense definitely stepped up in this game. Well, I'm glad that the Heels are able to kind of close it out. That's what I seem to recall as well, Brian, is that the Heels were very good in limiting the Volunteers down the stretch. Tennessee, though, shot a lot of threes. And some of those were, I thought, decent looks that you know Tennessee just missed. I know that fans on the message board have talked about you know, three-point shooting defense being this supposed Achilles heel for Roy Williams' teams. Did you have the chance to review any of the three-point shooting from the Tennessee game that might, you know, lean one way or another on that? I mean, not this game specifically. Tennessee, I mean, they shot 36%, which is actually from three, which is actually below what Carolina's giving up this year. And Carolina's not percentage-wise defending a three as well this year as they have in the past. Opponents are making 38%. But it helps when a team like Portland, who Carolina blew out, makes 46%. And a team like Northern Iowa that Carolina took care of pretty easily shot 46%. So those teams just literally all they did pretty much for the entire game was shoot threes. But this speaks to a bigger notion that I know fans love to talk about, about how, why don't we guard the three? We're, the Carolina is so passive in their defense, they sag, give up open threes. If you look at the numbers since Roy came back, Carolina's opponents have attempted more than 11,300 three-pointers at a second in the country as far as teams allowing three-point attempts. The only one that has more is Syracuse, and we all know why Syracuse allows more three-point attempts. So they sit in that zone and you can't get inside, so people just sort of bail out and shoot the threes. But opponents under Roy are only hitting 34% of threes. 
That's 88 out of 350-plus Division I teams, so it's the top 25% of the country. So while fans love to moan and complain about Carolina giving up threes, when a team shoots almost, I think it's like 22 a game on average, they're going to hit some. I mean, it's going to happen, and sometimes it's going to come in little spurts. But they're also going to go ice cold and miss five, six, seven in a row, which allows Carolina, which is typically a much more efficient offense than their opponents, to build leads, come back, whatever have you. So I think Carolina's fans just see a lot of three-pointers go up in the air, and so their immediate reaction is, that's our weakness. We can't defend that. When I think it's really kind of a bailout option for teams, I think there's a lot of reasons why they shoot threes against Carolina, which we can get into in a second. But I think it's more of an optics thing than a real problem for Carolina. That's something, podcast, if you listen to Dewey Burke, some of the things he's done with John, some of the ones he's done with Tommy, he talks about how North Carolina design of what Roy Williams wants to do. He wants to get the easiest shot and he wants to prevent you from getting the easiest shot. And so, you know, the idea is that the closer you get to the basket, the easier the shot is. And so North Carolina's entire game is built upon stopping penetration, stopping guys in the post, stopping guys from getting layups. And that often leads to a lot of, I guess you would call it open threes. But if they're shooting that percentage, then <laughs> I guess they're not as open as we think they are. So it, it's just interesting you were saying how, you know, the why of that. And I think it's just, that's Roy Williams' philosophy. Yeah, and, and to get into it also, why would a team want to go down low in Carolina? It's easier for them to shoot threes. North Carolina is typically much bigger than their opponents. So their advantage for the or the, the best chance for the other team would be to take advantage of the three-pointer from the outside. If this was the NBA, that would be a problem because the NBA teams are so exceptional at shooting the threes, you simply have to guard. You can't defend the paint and just leave the perimeter open. But it's not the NBA. Uh, players aren't as good. They're not as skilled. They're, they can't shoot as well. So I think Roy's philosophy makes sense. So this year, Carolina's opponents are shooting 41% from two-point range. That's absolutely tremendous defense by Carolina and a horrendous number for any team in general. That's 12th in the country out of 350-plus teams. So Carolina makes it very difficult for you to score inside, and they force you to take, as Rail said, the less likely shot to go in. And building on this a little further, so Carolina runs. Everyone knows they average about 72 possessions per game under Roy. It's only Arkansas is really in the same realm as far as major conference teams. And that wears on teams. It wears you down. And throw in the fact that you're jacking up 22 threes a game, by the end of the game, by the last four minutes, last 10 minutes, the other team's going to be tired. It takes a lot of legs and, and some conditioning to be able to shoot that many threes and play at that pace. So I think that's also why we've seen some of these late game runs for Carolina in the past couple of years, and this Tennessee game included. What are Carolina's opponents shooting from three for this season again, Brian? Yeah, this year it's not great. It's 38%, I believe, which is well above Carolina's traditional three-point defense. But, you know, like I said, a lot of these were non-conference games where the opponent was so vastly overmatched that that's all they had. To, they, uh, that's all they did. The four highest of the season are Northern Iowa, Portland, Davidson, and Bucknell. So those four teams really, they had no chance whatsoever inside against Carolina for the most part. So, you know, they all shot at least 28 threes. So it was more of a this is what they had to do thing. Against teams more of Carolina's ilk outside of Michigan State, they've held steady. Michigan shot under 30%, and that team can really shoot it. Arkansas, 33. Tennessee, 36. So they've held their own against teams that are probably more comparable talent-wise. It's been those sort of overmatched teams that have really let it fly from deep. And Carolina won't see many of those <laughs> for the rest of the season. 
it's a little bit encouraging and discouraging at the same time, honestly, because when you think about some of the upper echelon ACC teams like Notre Dame, Miami, and Duke, the fact that Carolina is giving up, you know, 41 from two is really good, but 38 from three, I don't know, that that might kind of play into the hands of some of those more run-and-gun ACC teams that might be a little bit more equipped to play that up-and-down style. Like you mentioned, Brian, where conditioning is something that has to also be taken into account when you're talking about playing the heels. Go ahead, Jarrell. Uh, yeah, I was going to just say, looking forward, I do think that the, the three-point defense, if it can be improved, it will. Just because, you know, we've talked about a few times that North Carolina this year, their their better players are on the perimeter. And that's no slight to the freshmen, but the freshmen big guys, there, but they're freshmen. But Kenny is an excellent defender. Uh, Joel Berry is an excellent defender. Theo Pinson is a very good defender. Luke May is an average to good defender. And I think the hope North Carolina has is that Cam Johnson will come in and be a good defender. So there's a lot of things they'll be able to do defensively against some of these perimeter-oriented teams and not necessarily lose the strengths that they had in the past years. Like, that was a huge issue a few years ago when the debate was, well, does Carolina take a big off the floor to face someone like Jason Tatum or face someone like Brandon Ingram? I think this year it's a little different in that they'll have the personnel to match some of those smaller lineups and still be as potent as they normally would be. And this discussion is fun considering what the Tar Heels actually have on deck next against Wofford. They have a guy, I don't know how many people are aware, Fletcher McGee, who is shooting a, a cool 58% from three this year, 52 of 90. So that's not exactly a small sample size. He's made more threes this year than anybody in college basketball. So he'll be someone to watch, someone to see how Carolina handles. Physically, again, he'll be overmatched. I mean, he's I mean, he's 6'4", but he's not someone that's going to jump over you. But this guy can light it up. He's made 255 threes in his career. I mean, he, he, he can really shoot the lights out. So it'll be fun to see how Carolina plays him on Wednesday. I'm guessing they kind of let him do his thing. That's why another thing fans would be like, oh, career high against Carolina, some random guy. A lot of times... Carolina let that guy do his thing and completely shut out the rest of the team because one man is usually not going to beat him. But this is a fun discussion considering what Carolina has ahead of them on Wednesday. Yeah, that is going to be kind of a good, you know, maybe, I guess, testing grounds for for that theory, which, like you said, I mean, Carolina does, I think, it's by design, as you mentioned, does let one guy go off. I think the danger with that is like we saw against Boston College, what was it, like maybe three or four years ago, when they had the guard, I forget his name, but he dropped like 42, and Boston Tyre, College was Tyrese Rice, yeah. Yes, yes. You know, that, that that is always the danger where if someone just heats up a little bit too much, it could backfire. But, you know, against Wolford, I think the talent gap is just going to be too much to overcome there. Yeah, I mean, that's what you would hope. They did beat Georgia Tech, I believe, earlier this year. Pretty crazy game. Not saying Georgia Tech is the class of the ACC, but as we know, they did beat the Tar Heels last year. So Wofford's certainly more than capable of taking down the heels. They've won four straight games, I think, so coming in on a little bit of a roll. I do think, since we're talking about Wednesday a little bit, I do think Carolina will be a little more prepared. That is a, That was a long break, especially after having you know, a game basically every two days for almost four weeks. They went 11 days without any games and were in that hostile environment. So I think they'll come out, especially being at home, a little more energized, a little more kind of none rusty. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be a little cleaner, I think, in the first half. And that talent deficit, hopefully for the Tar Heels, will, will push them over the top. And then they go to New Orleans to play Ohio State on Saturday. And then a week off and it's conference time. So you definitely, they don't want to take Wofford lightly. They want to 
in that game very quickly, make sure everybody gets out healthy and prepare for Ohio State, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Rail. I mean, I think Carolina, as much as Roy Williams will try to prevent it from happening, they maybe will have their eyes a little bit on the future. So we'll see what happens. But, I mean, Wolford is a, is a good team. But, you know, I think Carolina should be able to hopefully put this one away. One area where I think Carolina will definitely have an advantage, and they kind of came on late with it against Tennessee, was the rebounding. The first half, I think Tennessee did a little bit better job. They were up there on the aggressiveness. They are really getting to the loose balls. But in the second half, again, this is just me kind of using the eyeball test. It looked like Carolina was able to really turn around and start grabbing the defensive boards especially. And they also got some offensive ones as well. Did you see anything, Brian, from the stats that maybe supported that, where Carolina really started to exercise their will on the boards? Yeah, I don't know exercise their will, but they definitely more <laughs> reasserted themselves on the glass. Tennessee is a thick team. They're not very tall, but when you look at Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams, those are big guys. I think Jay Billis called Williams baby Barkley like eight times in that game. Oh, and, yes. uh, <laughs> and like I, I get I get what he meant. Like he's physically like he walks in a room. He's not gonna he's not gonna walk through the airport and everyone's like, oh my god, look at that guy. But when you see him play, I mean, he's a load and can move people out of the way. And I think that probably shocked the likes of Brooks and even May at first. May's ironically not ironically, but actually had some of his best rebounding games of his career against the tallest and the most athletic teams Carolina plays. Florida State and Kentucky last year come to mind. Mm-hmm. But but I think they sort of relaxed as the game went on. I thought Theo was huge on the boards. That's where Carolina actually has a huge advantage. I think he had nine rebounds that might have tied season high. So I think he was huge. And then May and Brooks combining for 16 rebounds. Even even Barry, to be honest. Barry's a thick guard. Thick twice in my little monologue <laughs> here. But he's not easy to move out of the way either, especially against a guy like Jordan Bone, who's not, you know, he's not a physical presence really. So even Barry was going down to help get the rebounds. I mean, the starters had, I think, what was it, 16, 25. They had they had more than 30 rebounds total, the five starters, which is pretty solid. Throw in Sterling Manley, who was otherworldly there in the first half. And I do I do think Carolina's got rebounding contributions from it. I think a lot of balances weren't going their way in the first half, and I think it's sort of evened out in the second half. That was a solid rebounding performance, nothing great. But I do think the competition has something to do with it. Tennessee is, is, a, is a load to play against. Talking about Grant Williams, and of course I have to put a little recruiting stuff in here, but you know, he's he's six six. I think he's probably closer to six five and a half, but he's one of those guys that if he was just a couple inches taller, he definitely would have been North Carolina would have been heavily involved. They liked him a lot. They watched him play. He's from Charlotte, so they watched him play with Providence Day. And Devon Donson was on that team, a point guard who North Carolina offered at one point, who's now signed with Kansas. So they saw a lot of him. They liked his skills. They liked the things that he could do. I think for the way that North Carolina likes to play, he was just a little bit too short, but it's worked out for him. And it's actually funny because Rick Barnes, since he's been at Tennessee, has really hit North Carolina hard in recruiting the state of North Carolina. He's offered a lot of the guys, from basically 2016 on up classes, he offered a lot of those guys to try and get them over to Knoxville. And he got Williams, obviously. He had a guy named Quay Parker at one point. So it's just interesting to see that now that he's in Knoxville, you know, Rick Barnes is a North Carolina native and he's recruiting North Carolina pretty hard. I was very impressed with Grant Williams. I really didn't. I mean, I knew I knew who he was, but based on his, I guess, background and stuff, it's a, he's a very bright kid. I, I definitely enjoyed watching him. I love watching those sort of undersized guys. That's why Bonzi Colson is one of my favorite players in the league. You're kind of reminds me of inverse Bonzi Colson. Bonzi's more of an outside-in type offensive player. 
very undersized. Grant Williams is more of an inside-out type player, but they remind me of each other both in terms of how they carry themselves off the court and in their how they play on the court. So I'll, I'll be interested to watch Grant Williams. I'm going to cheer for him, if you put it that way. Yeah, he definitely impressed me as well. And when I was talking with Dewey yesterday, Dewey brought up you know the fact that Carolina was facing Tennessee, but Tennessee really didn't have the height. And you mentioned that as well, Brian. And I kind of thought that, in a way, Tennessee might actually be preparing Carolina for some of the ACC teams this year that are probably going to play that smaller lineup. The two that immediately came to mind to me were Virginia Tech and Miami. I just don't really think there's a whole lot of ACC teams that have that traditional two big inside post play this year. I'd, I'd say, I mean, Duke and Carolina are the two obvious ones as far as powers. I think um, Louisville a little bit if they have Spalding and Amood in the game or some sort of combination. Dang is more of an outside wing player. But I really think Carolina and Duke are these two traditional, two big men. And Duke even more so than Carolina because Luke May can come outside and shoot a three. Duke, if they're playing Carter and Bagley together, Bagley can shoot. But Duke is really a true two big man team. And I think we saw that a lot with Carolina last year. Teams would go small because they'd want to get one of those, they want to get Meeks, Bradley, or Hicks involved in sort of a pick and roll and have them sort of have to guard out there in the perimeter. I think we saw a lot of that, not to go on a little tangent here, we saw a lot of that with Boston College versus Duke. And it's different when a couple freshman big men, I don't care how many stars recruiting they had, have to handle it versus a couple of seniors which Carolina had last year. So I think we'll see a lot of what we saw against Carolina last year against Duke this year. I don't think you'll see as much of against Carolina because Luke May is capable of guarding the perimeter much more so than, say, a Meeks or a Hicks. Yeah, and that's kind of the point that I brought up with Dewey. And, you know, I, I think that it might bear out is that even though Carolina was facing that smaller lineup, the UNC post players were able to still defend I mean, for the game, Tennessee only shot 37.3% overall, 36 from three, like you mentioned earlier, Brian. So I took that as a positive that the Carolina big guys were able to at least limit their smaller, quicker opponents. Yeah, they missed a lot of shots down the stretch around the basket, whether it be Williams or or Schofield, whether they were tired, I don't know. Manley had a huge block, I think. I I forget who was attempting to lay it from the left side, but um, he had a huge block. So I think Carolina's post-defense, was solid on Sunday. I think it was more about, it might have been a little bit more height, like we said, because they got some good position um, because of how they can back Carolina's guys down. But Carolina's height with Brooks and Manley certainly deterred their shots a bit. And, uh, you know, only through, I guess it's 11 games now, but don't you start to feel a little more comfortable with Manley and Brooks? Uh, you know, they're out there, they have their limitations, they're freshmen, they need to put on strength, all those caveats. But when, you know, it comes down to it, they they have made some really big plays for Carolina, you know, 10 of 11 games pretty much during their freshman seasons. I mean, like you said, the mailing block was a big one. I think that would have put Tennessee up six. Garrison Brooks had a nice pass to Luke May for a layup. He had kept a rebound alive that Luke May got and turned into a, a three-point play. So, you know, they're doing the little things. And if you go back and listen to what everybody was saying during the preseason, it was if the North Carolina, you know, big men, if, you know, two of them a night can give North Carolina X amount of points and X amount of rebounds, and they can do a lot of things. And for the most part, they've been doing that this season. So really impressed with those two guys. Not a lot was expected of them really from anyone, probably outside of themselves, but they're, they're playing well and they've acquitted themselves well already in college basketball, I think. Yeah, and I, I think personally, I'm perfectly comfortable with either one of those guys in the game. I know it's probably easier to see what Manley does well, because it's, it's more tangible. He looks smoother on the offensive game, the block shots. 
But when you when you go back and watch the game, Brooks does a lot of stuff that I don't I hate the term I can't see in the box score. But he plays really hard. He moves his man out of the way on defense, despite being only allegedly only 215 pounds, and he's and he's effective. He he's never he's never in there and doesn't do his job, if you will. And that's probably why Roy Williams likes him so much, combined with the reported condition issues for Manley. But that's probably why Roy likes Garrison Brooks so much because. He always does his job. He's usually in the right spot, and he doesn't make too many mistakes. He might fumble a ball out of bounds, but so be it. So I think he's. I think I'm perfectly comfortable with both. Um, both nearly had a double double last night. You can get that from either one every night. That's that's amazing. And sneaky big were Brooks's three free throws. He was three for three from the line. He was only I think two of his last ten before that. I know we've had some highs and lows with the freshman free throw shooting this year, but those are also sneaky big big shots as well. Yep, well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, guys. When we record next week, Carolina will be on the precipice of starting ACC play. So maybe we can do like a wrap-up of how the Heels have played in non-conference to get ready for ACC. But I did want to end with this. Last week, we talked about who would take the final shot in clutch time. I believe the only options that Rail gave us were Luke May or Joel Berry. And turns out, you know, it was Kenny Williams, and he hit it. So that's an interesting development. But, we'll see what happens. But, but, in but what, did, what did I say? What did I say? I said, who do I want the ball in their hand? And it was one Theo Pinson who had the ball in his hands and made actually, honestly, kind of a similar play to the Luke May Kentucky play, where he sort of runs under the shooter and essentially sets a screen on Kenny Williams slash Luke May's man freeing them up for a shot. Obviously, a more set-type play this time, and there wasn't as much space, but a very similar-looking um, play as, as the Luke May versus Kentucky play. Yeah, it was it was big for Kenny Williams, not only to hit the shot, obviously, to put North Carolina ahead for good, but also, I think, to have that on film for other teams to have to prepare for because they've seen the Luke May shot, you know, 7,000 times already. They've seen what Joel Berry has done in the last three years and change, and now they see, oh, there's this other guy, Kenny Williams, hitting clutch threes in the last minute of a game on the road to give North Carolina a win over a top 20 team. So we talked about how North Carolina had a few guys who probably would be able to do that. And that's a good thing because the defense can't key in on anybody. And Kenny putting that on film just makes it harder for teams to prepare for North Carolina defensively in that type of situation. I'm willing to say that, I mean, I'm very close to saying that Kenny Williams has been North Carolina's best player this year when you combined all offense defense Luke May's obviously been amazingly productive I think most probably still good heads but but Kenny Williams has been as close to perfect as a basketball player can be he never makes mistakes I think saw something like Roy Williams charted his defensive plays and he made like 24 positive ones and three negative ones in the Tennessee game and his shooting percentage is obviously what set him apart but and he's finishing at the rim gets out in the break I remember yesterday he crashed the glass when he was left open. It was a missed three by Barry or something, I think. And he just crashed from the weak side and laid it back up for a second chance point. I mean, he, he does just about everything well on the basketball court. So I'm very happy for him, happy he's healthy and vital for this team. Absolutely. And I think, Brian, we'll give you half credit on the question because, yeah, you did say you want the ball in Theo's hands. So we'll give you half credit for that I'll one. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> a lot like my classes in college. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? I was just happy to, you know, pass. (laughs) So, all right, you guys. Well, hey, I really appreciate it. We'll go ahead and end this one. But like I said, next week, we'll go ahead and start looking forward to ACC play. So, Brian, get that stat book out, man, and we'll talk again next week. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com. 
the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.